What a blessing to be here this morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to 2 Chronicles chapter number 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 9. It's always a joy to be on campus at West Coast Baptist College. I I just love the Spirit. I love what God is doing. Very thankful to be here. I'm curious, how many of you have never, ever heard me preach before? Let me see your hands. Oh, good. Lots of you. Great. How many of you have heard me and it wasn't very good? Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to do better, but 2 Chronicles chapter 9, Solomon is the king. David has gone on to be with the Lord, and uh, life is good in Israel. The temple has just been completed. They finally have a permanent place to worship God. The people are excited about the prospects because Solomon is now their king. Solomon, the son of David. Solomon, the one who was given an opportunity from God, a blank check to anything that you want. And Solomon said, I I want to have a heart so that I can discern the needs of our people and be a help and encouragement to them. And so after the completion of the temple, we come to chapter 9 where there's a recounting some of what took place in Solomon's palace. Kind of interesting. I've read through my Bible scores of times and never noticed this until this time. And I want to share the thought with you. Let's begin reading in 2 Chronicles 9, verse 13. The Bible says, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was six hundred and three score and six talents of gold. That's a lot of money. That's a lot. The uh, research that I did said that a talent of gold was worth about $30,000. And so if you take 666 times 30,000, that's about $20 million a year. Not bad, not bad. The Bible says, verse 14, beside that, he had the 666 talents, beside that which the chapmen and merchants brought. And all the kings of Arabia and governors of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon. And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold, 600 shekels of beaten gold went to one target, and 300 shields made he of beaten gold. 300 shekels of gold went to one shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. And there were six steps to the throne with a footstool of gold which were fastened to the throne and stays on each side of the sitting place, and two lions standing by the stays. Twelve lions stood there on one side and on the other upon the six steps. There was not the like made in any kingdom. And all the drinking vessels of King Solomon were of gold. Let's stop there. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I pray this morning as we look at this passage, it might be an encouragement to each one. 
Lord, may we determine to do what we can do in service of the King. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Early on in his reign, Solomon was just a great, great king. His wisdom was obvious. We recall the Queen of Sheba came, and she had kind of a a hesitant sort of a spirit, wondering if all that she heard was really true. And her response after her visit was, I didn't get the half. It wasn't, not the half was told to me. We see how uh, the, the nation prospered. There's, there's times of peace and expansion. And uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. Solomon loved God and served God and was a help to his people. He was a wealthy man. He was a wise man. And so we see that not only had God blessed him materially, but God had given him the hearts of the people. They gave to Solomon gifts of gold and silver. The Bible tells us uh, uh, several groups of people that gave. Verse 14, the chapmen, the merchants, the kings of Arabia, and the governors. I never noticed before the word chapman. I read it, but... I never noticed it, but it it, it caught my attention. The Chapman were the door-to-door salesmen. I remember when I was a kid, there was a guy who would come around once or twice a year, and he'd knock on the door, and my mom would answer the door, and he would say, do you have any knives or scissors that need sharpening? And uh, mom would say, sure, let me get them. And he'd set up a blanket out in the front yard, and she'd bring out all of the knives that she used for cooking and, and her scissors. And he would sit there in the yard and sharpen these. I liked him because he always did magic tricks and told great stories about the adventures he'd been on, which, looking back, none of them really happened. But uh, he, he was a pretty neat guy. I, I always called him the sharpened man. Uh, used to be uh, some guys made their living by just going door to door with their wares. That's what a chapman is. He didn't have a store. He was just a door to door salesman. He might sell things that his wife had made, maybe blankets or jewelry, but uh, not able, not enough to uh, have a, a shop, but he would just go from door to door and place to place, selling his wares. And so we look at these people who who brought gold and silver to Solomon, and we see the kings of Arabia. Well, obviously, we know their motive. The kings are trying to garner favor with King Solomon. They're trying to make sure that they have an alliance between their two nations. They're making sure that Solomon doesn't become the aggressor and maybe uh, invade their lands. And so, uh, almost as bribes the kings bring to Solomon gold and silver. And then we see the governor. These are the guys in charge of the regions around Israel, and and, uh, they also brought gold 
and silver. Now, we learn from Rehoboam that Solomon loved taxes. And so, some of this, no doubt, were tax monies that they brought, but, but also, uh, it's a way to demonstrate their devotion, their allegiance, their loyalty to Solomon, but no doubt, they're hoping that should they need a favor, should they need some special attention, then maybe Solomon will remember their sacrifices, their gifts of gold, their gifts of silver. And then you have the merchants, the guys that had the stores. They owned the shops, and certainly uh, much of what they gave was taxed. Uh, uh, Possibly there was some they gave that was out of a sense of devotion and loyalty. But you come to the Chapman. And it's interesting to me, these guys, I'm pretty sure, didn't have to give. Nobody filled out IRS documents. Solomon would have no idea how much money they made, if they made any money. And so the only reason that these people would give would be because of their devotion to Solomon. The only reason that they would give is out of respect, out of love, out of gratitude for what Solomon had done. Obviously, they're not going to be able to give much. I can't imagine trying to support a wife and a family on what you'd get going door to door. But they did get something. And out of that something, they did give something enough that God took notice. Now think about it. What couldn't be a whole bunch, but they did give more than some of the kings gave, because I'm sure some of the kings didn't give anything. And they gave more than some of the governors gave, because no doubt some of the governors didn't give anything. And I would imagine there were some merchants who got by with as minimum as they possibly could. And so uh, it's possible that some of the chapmen gave more than lots of these other guys. In my imagination, I see a door-to-door -door salesman. He's carrying around some blankets. His name is, is uh, uh, Solomon, just like the king. That's a big deal to him. His son is Solomon Jr., but they call him Solly. His wife is named Sarah, and Sarah has, has made some blankets. She's fashioned some jewelry. And Solomon goes house to house selling his wares. And one day he comes home, and he said, uh, the king is using gold in his palace. And I saw some of the merchants and some of the governors and even some kings were bringing the gold. He says, Sarah, we have a little bit of savings. I know our family's growing, and we, we wanted to add another room for the children, but wow, Solomon has been such a blessing. We have a place right here in Jerusalem where we can go and worship God, that temple. We are the first generation in the history of the world to have a temple. I would love to thank Solomon for that. 
She said, I've been thinking the same thing. I've been thinking exactly the same thing, some way to demonstrate to, to our king how grateful and how thankful we are. And her husband said, now, I put aside a little money because the Passover's coming up and you haven't had a new dress for the Passover for several years now. And, and, and I, I, I just want you to have a new dress. And she said, no, 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 no. She goes, the dresses that I have are wonderful. They, I, I can patch them. I can fix them. I would rather use that money and give it to Solomon. I would rather that we might donate even that. She said, the only thing, I've put aside a few, a bit, a little, for you to get a new pair of sandals. Every day you walk dozens and dozens of miles and I've seen your sandals, they're all worn out with holes in them. He laughed and said, Sarah, come on. He goes, my feet are so tough and so hard, I don't even need these sandals. I just keep them with me because some places say no shirt, no shoes, no service. He said, I don't need that. He said, let's just give all that we can to King Solomon. And so they did. And evidently they weren't the only ones because if you notice the list, it's so interesting to me. We believe that God inspired every word in the Bible. Amen? Amen. Sure he did. Sure he did. And, and we look through this and we see that in that list, the very first list of givers mentioned is the Chapman. Not the kings who obviously gave the most gold and, and, and not even the governors or the merchants, but right at the top were the chapmen. Did you ever notice that there are people with more talents and abilities than you have? You ever wonder... Can I really serve God? I remember the first sermon that I ever preached. I studied and prayed and I didn't grow up in church. So first time I ever heard a sermon was at camp as a teenager when I got saved. The second opportunity I had was in Bible college. But the man who led me to the Lord asked me the the. Christmas between uh, after the first semester of my freshman year if I would preach in church on Sunday night. So man, I prayed and prepared. I wrote down my whole sermon. I got up and I preached as, as best I possibly could, but it seemed like it was too fast, so I started over. And I preached it again. And I had the invitation, which was basically a waste of time because nothing happened. And then I went to the back to shake hands like you're supposed to do, and I looked at my watch, and nine minutes had passed. Nine minutes. A lady came out, and she shook my hand, and she said, Are you sure God's called you to preach? I was asking myself the same question. Did you ever just wonder... Can God really use me? 
I bet the Chapman felt the same way. I bet they thought, you know, it's hardly anything. I don't even know why we should do it. Their only motive, their only reason is because they loved their king. Can I tell you, we have a wonderful king. The king of kings and lord of lords who has saved us. We are children by nature, the children of wrath. We ought to be in hell. But God, because of His mercy and grace and love, has provided a way for you and me to spend eternity in heaven. Man, don't you love Him for it? I sure do. I remember when I was eight years old, my little brother had uh, major surgery at the primary children's hospital in Salt Lake City. And we rented a couple of motel rooms. Grandma came to watch me and my brother while mom and dad were up at the, uh, the hospital. But uh, once a day, I'd go up to visit my brother who'd had the surgery. And I walked down the hall, and in the room next to his was a little girl who just cried the whole time she cried and cried. And I asked my mom, I said, what's the matter with her? Mom explained that she was playing with matches in the garage and some paint exploded and her body was covered in burns. Every time I was there, both days, she was sobbing and screaming. And on the third day, it was quiet. And I said, is she better? And mom said, no, no, she died. At camp, when I was 13, I heard the gospel. And as the, the preacher preached about hell, as he described the suffering and the torment and the anguish, my memory went back to that little girl in that hospital room. And I thought, you know, if just a few seconds in a fire could make a person so miserable, I don't want to go to hell. And that day at youth camp, I responded to the invitation and I got saved. Boy, my king has been good to me. I, I would like to let him know that I love him. Not only has our king saved us, but he, he sustains us through every struggle that we have. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. We sang that song this morning, No one ever cared for me. He supplies our every need. I remember when uh, our son, I was pastoring, our son was old enough to go to kindergarten, and we weren't able to homeschool and certainly wasn't going to put him in the public school. So we decided there was a Christian school about uh, 10, maybe 15 miles from where we lived. We were going to take him to the Christian school. But the difficulty was we only had one car. And so uh, I would have to take him to school, and then the church I pastored was this direction. And so it was really impractical. And I told my wife, I said, we got to pray for a new car. We need to get a new car. So we began to pray. And uh, we didn't want to go in debt because we didn't have enough money to make payments. And so I, I, I we scrounged up all of our money and said, we can spend $500. We ought to be able to get something. This is a long time ago, several decades, as Brother Getch would tell you. And uh, I thought, you know, $500, it, it, it won't be deluxe, but it'd be usable, serviceable. And so I'm looking in the want ads. They hadn't invented Craigslist yet. I'm looking in the want ads, and, and there's a car for sale for $500. I called the guy. I said, you still got your car? He says, I do. I said, well, I, I want to come look at it. So I drove out to his house, and I pulled in the driveway, and I thought, man, that's a beautiful car. Who, who wouldn't? 
I can't believe he's selling it for that price. I'm looking at it. The interior looks nice. There's no rust. There's no dents. It, it, it looked great. The guy comes out. He goes, well, what do you think? I said, well, man, that's beautiful. That's great. I said, can I see the engine? He looked at me. He popped the hood. There's no engine. There's no engine. I said, doesn't it have an engine? He goes, well, what do you expect for $500? Man, I was so disappointed. I went home. I, I, I told my wife, I said, I can't believe this. We've been praying to get a car, and, and uh, I, I thought we had one. There's not even an engine. I'm kind of feeling sorry for myself, almost complaining to the Lord. And uh, I, I went outside to just walk around a little bit, and my neighbor is carrying a for sale sign, put it in the back window of his car. That's a great clue. I said, hey, Phil, you selling your car? He goes, yeah, why? You need one? Well, you don't want to be too enthusiastic because, you know, you got to keep the price down. I said, well, you know, maybe Jeremiah's going to college and uh, we're thinking about getting another car. I said, how much are you asking? He goes, well, I was going to ask $2,500, but I'll let you have it for $2,000. Oh, well, don't hold it. I'll talk to Karen. I walked in the house, $2,000, we can't afford $2,000. I just, uh, Karen goes, well, maybe the Lord wants us to have that car. I said, he doesn't. $2,000, we have $500. No, he doesn't. She goes, we should pray about it. Right. All right, you pray first because you're obviously more spiritual than I am. And so she prayed a really sweet prayer and, then it was my turn. I'm definitely not. I'm praying ground. I said, dear Lord. About that time the doorbell rang. Amen. <laughs> I went to the door and Phil's standing there. He goes, you guys really need a car? I said, well, we're going to eventually. And he handed me the keys. And he said, the Lord told me to give you this. I said, Phil, I need a boat. <laughs> God gave me the car. Hey, we have a wonderful king. Look, you may not have the talent some people have. You may not have the abilities some people have. You may not think that there's even much you can do for God. But I want to tell you something. Every single person in this room, you can do something. You can do something. Let's fast forward. The palace is finished. Solomon and... Sarah and their 13 children are out for a walk. And they walk by the palace. Solomon says, there it is. We had a part in that. He said, uh, see those guards standing there around the palace with those golden shields? I think maybe a little bit of our gold is in one of those. And she said, no. No, I think maybe King Solomon used our gold to cover his throne. And besides, I heard that the cups and the glasses that he drank out of, their gold. She said, I wouldn't be surprised if Solomon was drinking out of the gold that we gave. And they walked on down the road. And they lifted their heart. And their eyes to the sky and they said, God, thank you for being so good to us.
And God, thank you for making it possible for us to have a part in something that matters so much. You may not be able to do everything, young people. You can do something. So oftentimes, when we're in Bible college, we make excuses about why we can't be the soul winners we ought to be and why we don't have the time to do this and why we would be more involved in ministry only if, but yet those are just excuses. I know you don't have all the time and I understand completely you're broke, but I do know this, we can serve God. There is something that we can do if for no other reason just to stop and say, God, thank you for being such a wonderful God.